Well, we have been looking at what it means to have Christ in our life, in the church, in the home, and on the job. And it's obvious, it's very important that we take seriously the difference Christ is to make in our lives. But we can't so focus on ourselves that we forget he's needed elsewhere as well. As we've already talked about this morning a couple times, he's needed in the world. It's not enough for him to be in our lives. We need to get him into the lives of others, and we do that through our witness. That's our job. That's what we've been commissioned to do. We're to take Christ to the world. We can't keep him boxed up in our churches or even our homes. We've got to take him to the world. And in our text today, Paul indicates that two things are essential if we are to take Christ to the world. And no, they are not that we must knock on every door in town and flood the airwaves with the gospel message. He says we must devote ourselves to prayer and we must conduct ourselves with wisdom towards others. If we would be effective witnesses for Christ, if we would take Christ to the world, that's where we must begin. And we must begin with prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Colossians 4, 2 through 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. If we're to be effective in winning the world, we must first devote ourselves to prayer. The word translated devote is used ten times in the New Testament. And half of them refer to prayer. It means to continue steadfast, to attend to constantly, to stand ready in, to be strong in. It does not, however, mean that we must join a monastery or live on a mountain of prayer, a prayer mountain, and do nothing but pray. Paul does tell us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that we are to pray without ceasing. But I don't believe he expects us to spend our lives on our knees with our eyes closed. To pray without ceasing simply means to be constantly aware of God's presence and to always be in touch with him. If we're to be effective witnesses for God, we must remain in fellowship with him. And if not actually talking with him, at least keeping him in mind. That's a life devoted to prayer. And that's what keeps us ready to witness, to be used by God. When Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, after a time of prayer with three of his disciples, he found the rest of his disciples facing failure. A man had brought his demon-possessed son to see Jesus. And the disciples had tried to cast him out, but had failed. When they asked Jesus why they couldn't cast it out, he told them prayer was required. Apparently, they had tried to do it on their own. Jesus then proceeded to cast out the demon, but interestingly, interestingly, interesting, interesting, why did he even use that word? But it's very interesting that he didn't pray before doing so. He didn't pray before doing so. He simply commanded it to leave, and it did. 
Was prayer not necessary for him being the son of God? Perhaps, but I don't think so. He emptied himself to become a man and was every bit as dependent on his father as we are. So why didn't he pray? Why didn't he hush the crowd, offer a prayer, and then cast out the demon? Why? Because he didn't have to stop what he was doing to pray. His life was immersed in prayer. He did have a special time of prayer on the mountain, but his prayer didn't cease after the amen. He was constantly connected to the Father. And when he was presented with a need, he didn't have to dial him up. He simply acted as his father was directing. That's what it means to, to pray without ceasing. And it's the kind of prayer life that keeps us ready for action, ready to witness, that keeps us alert. And when Paul says we are to keep alert in prayer, he's literally saying we are to stay awake. I don't know about you, but some traditional approaches to prayer put me to sleep. I can relate with the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration and in the Garden of Gethsemane. Try as they might, they could not stay awake for a long season of prayer. And when I try to spend a long period of time in prayer, I usually fall asleep. That's not what prayer is intended to do. Prayer should energize us. Make us ready for action, empower us for witness. Its purpose is to get us in tune with God and what he's doing, to make us aware of his involvement in our lives and what he would want to do through us. If your approach to prayer isn't doing that, change your approach. Instead of trying to pray long, pray often. Do whatever you have to do to keep your mind on him and to, and to stay connected with him. And when you pray, pray with an attitude of thanksgiving. Paul makes it clear that a spirit of thanksgiving should permeate our prayers. Not because we believe God is going to do whatever we want him to, but, but because we know he's listening and we trust him. We know he loves us. He proved it on the cross. Amen. We know that he'll provide for us. He promised he would if we'd be good stewards with what he has given us. And we know that he can make whatever is happening to us now into something that will ultimately be for good for us. As long as we love him and are committed to his purposes. When we pray, it shouldn't be with an attitude of give me, but thank you. Thank you for what you've already done. After all, the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. We tend to forget that. The desire of our life should be to do God's will, to know it, and then be empowered to do it. And prayer enables us to do just that. Paul understood that and made his request known, not only to God, but to the Colossians as well, inviting them to join him in prayer for an open door. Now, do remember that Paul was a prisoner at this time under house arrest in Rome, but he didn't request prayer for personal freedom or comfort. 
Those would have been reasonable requests in his circumstances. And there would have been nothing wrong in doing so. But that wasn't his biggest concern. His desire was to be used for God's glory. To get the word out about God's love. So he requested that the Colossians join him in prayer for an open door for the word. Not an open door to his cell, an open door for the word. He wanted the word to get out. More than anything else, he wanted to be an effective witness for Christ. He wanted to be able to effectively speak forth the mystery of Christ. To be able to make the truth clear in his new circumstances and to his new audience. Now, it may seem a bit puzzling that Paul asked the Colossians to pray that he'd know what to say. After all, Christ had promised the disciples that the Holy Spirit would speak through them in such circumstances. And while Paul wasn't one of the original twelve, he was without a doubt an apostle. Surely what Jesus said to Matthew in 10, 16 through 20 applied to Paul. Behold, Jesus says, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not become anxious about how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that hour what you are to speak. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So why did Paul feel the need for prayer to accomplish what had already been promised? Was it a lack of faith? Rick doesn't think so. I'm sure he believed Christ was with him and would use him. And the fact wasn't dependent on others praying for him. Nevertheless, Paul felt it important to have the brethren support him in prayer. He wanted to make them a part of what he was doing and no doubt wanted the emotional support of knowing others were praying for him. He was encouraged by their prayers. They gave him an added measure of strength. They motivated him to faithfulness. That much we can be sure of. What the prayers actually did with with regard to God's activity, we have no way to know. But we don't have to understand all the implications of prayer to pray. Does prayer alter the outcome and change God's mind? Apparently, it can There are numerous records of God changing his stated plans because he was asked to. On several occasions, Moses asked God not to do what he said he was going to do, and God didn't do it. However, God uses our prayers. The bottom line is that we are to pray and to pray for one another. If we are to effectively take Christ to the world, we must undergird each other's efforts in prayer. So, pray for me, and I'll pray for you. Don't hesitate to ask for prayer. Paul did. Just knowing the brethren are praying for you, and for that special situation at work, 
or that neighbor you're trying to reach. This can keep you better connected to the Father and more sensitive to the opportunities He provides for witness. If we would take Christ to the world, we must pray without ceasing. And we must pray for each other. Prayer is a vital component of effective witnessing. But it's obviously not all that's needed. Prayer is what's going on behind the scenes. So we can, can, so we can conduct ourselves with wisdom when interacting with the world. Let's read on to Colossians 4, 5, and 7. 5 through 6, excuse me. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. We must be wise in dealing with those outside of Christ. Why? Because we want them to think highly of our Lord. We represent him. Everything we do is done in his name, and it takes wisdom to deal with people. They're all very different, and what appeals to one turns another off. So we have to pray for wisdom to know how to approach someone, what to say, what not to say, when to speak, when to be silent, all the while looking for every opportunity to witness to them concerning our faith. Making the most of the opportunity is the way Paul said it. We need to be ready. Ready to do the right thing or say the right thing that will draw them to the Lord. Paul said we must let our speech always be with grace. That doesn't mean we have to talk about grace all the time. Even though it is bound to come up in any conversation about sin and forgiveness. What he's saying is we should always speak to outsiders in a gracious manner. That grace should be reflected in what we say and how we say it. In our choice of words, the language we use, the attitude we convey while speaking. And when he says our speech should be seasoned with salt, he doesn't mean we should use salty language. <laughs> but that our manner of speaking should be exciting, full of life. Not insipid and filled with pious platitudes. We're communicating the most important news in the world, the good news. So it should be well said and pal palatable to the hearer who is open to the truth. This does not mean, however, that everything we must say must be easy to swallow. One aspect of salt that we sometimes forget is that it checks corruption. So what, what we say may at times have to be confrontational but it should always offer healing. And it should always consist of words that communicate the faith effectively and accurately. And it's not just words. When Paul says conduct yourselves, he's talking about conduct, the life we live, as well as the words we speak. It's our conduct that opens the door to witness and if our life has attractive qualities about it, because our conduct is a reflection of our faith, people will take note and they, they may very well ask about it. If they do, 
Paul says we'll know how to respond. Through prayer and the wisdom he gives, we'll be given the opportunity to take Christ to the world. One person at a time. We just have to be ready. Living lives immersed in prayer and speaking gracious words of wisdom that plant seeds in other people's lives or water seeds that have been planted by others. Let's not keep Christ to ourselves. To do so is to ignore the fact that Christ loved the world so much that he gave himself up for it. May we never forget that there's room at the cross. Not just for us, us, but for others as well.